Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Medic's Mind, the podcast. I do have a blog post I'd like to read for you guys today, and uh, that's what we're going to get right into after we listen to the guitar riff. Okay, welcome back. That uh, guitar riff that we uh, that we all well, I love anyway. Uh, I'm just assuming you guys do too. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I as I said, I do have a blog post I'd like to read for you guys. It's a blog post that I uh, wrote uh, Friday evening, and it is a, it's a true story, uh, something that I experienced as a working paramedic, and it's something that although this story is specific in nature. The, this the events uh, within this story are sort of interchangeable with uh, a, a number of calls that I responded to as as a paramedic, and I'm sure uh, paramedics working and not working uh, can uh, can relate to to this story. And uh, it was just something that I was sitting around and um, with with having uh, post traumatic stress disorder. Sometimes I I uh, I hear um, I hear things. Not uh, and like they're not voices, um, just sounds, and it's it's kind of hard to. Sometimes I'll hear people crying, uh, or I'll hear a scream, and there's no scream. Nobody is actively screaming in real life. It's just uh, it's an echo of the past, so to speak. So I, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I wrote this uh, on the heels of of having an experience like that, uh, kind of came, came to me and, uh, I wrote it and now I'm going to read it for you guys. And it is called, please, won't you please, won't you? The room was heavy in anticipation. All eyes were on us. Thing is, we were not the main attraction at all. In fact, we were desolatory witnesses as well, in a way. The only difference being that we had an onus of responsibility to interact with the show unfolding before us all. Willful participants to a pageantry that we never asked for. As such, the gapes and expectations of onlookers rested atop of our skin. Like it or not, we were now inexplicably linked with the horror show being masterfully conducted by the callous manipulations of the Reaper. Frantic and fleeting pants of breath escaped an old woman's chest. She watched through a gaze of consternation as her hands pawed and pried at her lifeless husband's blanched and time-worn body. He had collapsed to the floor. This was the causation of our invasion to this couple's home. It was early in the morning, but late in our shift. We'd been going all night. I had even remarked to my partner as to how dead I felt prior to this call. Needless to say, I didn't feel that way anymore. I felt very much alive, alive and busy. The story told was that the couple had woken at their usual time and that the husband had dutifully gone outside to shovel off the steps leading into their home so that his wife may have easier access and egress of their humble abode. A hard worker, she said. Upon his return inside, he sat at the kitchen table with gleeful anticipation of his wife's famous breakfast. She could tell something was wrong with how long it was taking him to finish the food on the plate. She assumed that he had just overworked himself with shoveling the steps. There had been a heavy snowfall recently. 
She told him to go lay down on the couch and that she would clear up and then come check on him in a few minutes. He never made it to the couch. When we entered through the archway of their sanctuary, we did so via the assistance of freshly shoveled steps. A dead man's last deed. He was laying on the floor. A sight easily discovered immediately upon entry of their home. We got to work right away. Clothing was ripped from limbs and body. Stickers and leads were placed onto the ashen chest of the fallen plowman, and needles of life pierced his clammy skin. Two ambulance crews, a shift supervisor, a fire captain, and his men, all indebted to the gray, cadaverous man. I assisted with packaging this man for transport. The shift supervisor said that he was going to hop in with my partner and take one of the other medics, and requested that I use the SUV ambulance to follow in behind with wife in tow. I obliged. I slammed the back doors of the ambulance, closing them tightly together, and watched as the ambulance screamed away from the scene with a prodigious wail of angry sirens cutting through the cold bite of a winter's air. I observed for long enough to feel satisfied that they were underway safely. I then retreated up the shaven steps and into the well-kept home. Upon entry, I could see that the old woman was frazzled and befuddled as to what came next. She had just watched as a team of uniformed strangers, some well-rested, and some, well warm from the night prior, whisk her lifeless husband away from their home. His breakfast was still warm. I could see that she was unclear on what to do. She threw glances at the plates on the table, and then over to the sink as if to be pondering whether or not she should clean up a bit. She would then sheepishly cast a gaze towards me, never quite looking into my eye, always at my chest. I figured she was doing this because eyes are personal. They tell no lies. And if she were to look into mine... She would then know that this is not just a bad dream, that we really did come, and we really did take her husband away. I softened my tone, and empathy tamed my brow. I spoke to her. I told her that I could take her to the hospital to be with her husband. She greeted my oration with a nod of acknowledgement. She gathered a few essential things, and then began to walk towards the door as if to be ready to leave. I outstretched my arm. I had acted like an undulating bar of a parking garage. She needed a jacket. All she was wearing was a nightie. Oh, oh, yes, I suppose I need a coat. Don't I? Yes, ma'am. You do, it's, it's pretty cold out. I could hear the shifting of fabric rubbing against itself as she burrowed into the closet and began searching for an appropriate wear. Her hands were failing her. They were shaking as if to be leaves in autumn, barely holding on. Ma'am, may I? Can I, can I help you? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I need a jacket, don't I? Yes, ma'am, you do. And with that, I reached into the chasm of coats and retrieved one that appeared her size. She donned the winter wear and followed me into the cold chill of a vengeful frost. The unmistakable crunching of snow lamented beneath our careful footfalls. I led her to the passenger side of the SUV, and once secured, I traipsed with purpose around to the driver's side. I toggled the switch to ignite the emergency lights. We were not supposed to drive with lights and sirens with a passenger in, but I felt like traffic lights would be more akin to further torture to the shaking old woman. I broke protocol. Fuck. Protocol. I began driving with haste away from the family home and onward to the hospital where her husband awaited in one condition or another. As I said before, it was early, 
so traffic was sparse and thus made for a speedy trip. Hollow cries bellowed from the wailing sirens as I pushed closer and closer to the hospital. The call had taken place in a far northerly sect of the city. This meant for a longer run than typical when working in the heart of the city. As I drove, I could hear sullen sobs of bargaining with reality come from the old woman seated next to me. I could also feel her stare slap against me from time to time. On one such time, she spoke. Please, please. Ma'am? Please, won't you? Ma'am, I'm not sure what you mean. Is he going to die? Is Harold going to die? She spoke again. Please, won't you tell me, please? There was a brief, unspoken pause between us. When looked at through the lens of retrospection, it seems to last forever. Ma'am, they're working on your husband. Doing everything they can, okay? Yes, but is he going to die? Please, won't you? Is he? I knew the answer. I did. But what the hell am I supposed to say when driving high speed on a slippery roadway with a grief-stricken woman who is now newly anointed into widowhood? Unbeknownst to her. For now. Ma'am, you got the best in the city working on your husband right now. Okay? My partner is amazing. She, well, I'd let her work on my family. I would. So, he's going to be alright then. This is what's known as an impossible win. I cannot rightly devastate her while sat next to me. I am driving an emergency vehicle ravenously through what is normally a brash and bustling city, and I cannot lie to her. Paramedics cannot lie. I cannot lie. So what the fuck do I say while concentrating on the road and the old woman? Nothing. At least, nothing that she wants to hear. I simply deflect, and I continue to do that, all the way to the hospital. When we arrive... I assist the old woman out of the SUV and walk her into the emergency bay. I speak with the triage nurse, informing her of who I, or more importantly, who she, the old woman is. The nurse kindly escorts the grieving old woman into the quiet room. As she does, I catch sight of my partner down the hall, standing outside of the trauma bay room. I gallop down the hallway towards her, and when close enough to ask, So, what's the word? She continues coiling the cords to our monitor and wiping them clean with sani wipes. They just called it, she said. Calling it is a term we use when doctors have pronounced death to a person. In this case, death to the old man. The woman would get her answer soon enough. I knew this because her muffled yell escaped through the wooden door of the quiet room, a name that now seems painfully ironic to me. I always hated having to answer when being probed by someone as to if their loved one was dead, it is an impossible scenario to win. I helped Amber clean up the rest of our gear and then the truck, handed the SUV keys back to the shift supervisor, and drove back to station. By the time I had gotten home, I had worked almost three hours of overtime atop of a 12-hour shift. I came home and cracked a beer and sat on the couch in absolute silence for a while. My spouse at the time must have heard me come home and then became perplexed as to why I had not met her in bed yet. I could hear her coming down the stairs. Once she caught sight of me and my open beer, she looked at me and asked if I was coming to bed. I informed her that I was, and when she asked when, I spoke as if to be defeated and indicated that I was not sure. Soon, maybe. She said please, and before she could finish, I raised my head and was taken aback to see that the beautiful figure of my girlfriend had been replaced by an ephemeral transposition of an old woman saying, Please. 
please, won't you? With a single blink, the sight of my girlfriend returned. Hun, uh, I'll be up in a bit. Whatever, Hennigan. You know that I have to work today. It'd be nice to cuddle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. She was right. She did have to work that day. And it would be nice to cuddle. But she didn't seem to care that I had just finished working. And I was already being cuddled. Cuddled by a gray ghost and a grieving widow. Sometimes I can still hear someone asking, Please, as I'm trying to fall asleep. It's not just the old woman who has stabbed me with such a request. But she is somebody that I remember. I am sure that by now she has joined her husband. So I wish she'd stop asking. The answer is not mine to give. Okay, so that was called Please Won't You. Um, that, that was a real call that I went to. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, uh, it was cold. It was cold that day. I remember that. And, um, and I remember that old lady, uh, pretty vehemently. I mean, if I had the, uh, the gift of an artist, I'm pretty sure I could draw her to a T, uh, along with that old man. Um, I, I think something just about the sadness of that call, maybe the time of year, you know, it was, it was leading into Christmas time and, you know, something like that happening. And, and they had a beautiful home and obviously a beautiful life together um, from the the fleeting moment that I had with them. And uh, driving driving to the hospital and having her probe me for questions and, and looking to me for reassurance. I mean, I'm the one in uniform. I'm the one with with the the patches on my arm and the, the lettering on my shoulder. And I'm supposed to be the one to to bring calm to her chaos. And unfortunately, there was no calm to bring. You know, uh, the fact of life is people die. And um, it's it's a really awkward. And I always found it really difficult as a paramedic. Uh, sorry if you can hear my fridge just kicked on. Apologize about that. Um, but I, I always I always found it really, uh, really hard to... Uh, I, I always found it really hard to feel useful in those moments, you know, uh, telling, delivering death notifications. And in that moment specifically when I was driving and she was in the passenger seat and she was, you know, she was frantically, you know, clawing at me to, to, re, to give her the reassurance. I think person, I think she already knew. I think in her mind she knew. I, I, I think that she had, uh, you know, I think that's where the, the the banter with reality was coming in. I think she was bartering and bargaining with herself uh, or against reality, and um, and you know, I couldn't, I can't imagine being in that situation, uh, losing losing my loved one after years of, of marriage. I can't because I I'm not married, and that's never going to happen again. And uh, you know, it's it's just not. Um, it's, uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was really sad. The call itself was just sad. That's, that's all I can say is that, uh, it affected me. Um, you know, the thing about being a paramedic is that, yeah, we're trained for a lot of things and, and we expect to walk in and see some things, but it doesn't mean that, that the uniform is Teflon and that we don't feel sadness when it's sad. I mean, if something is sad, it's sad for everyone. I mean, that's just, that's how, like the, the biggest misconception is that we can just, push it off and brush it off and you know it, this isn't a call that like haunts me traumatically it's just a call that's sad and it's a call that i recognize as sad you know the the aspects of of trauma of that call like that are, are hearing the pleas for help and it's 
it's more so because I think they're related to other things that I, I've yet to figure those out. You know, that I mean, that's why I'm in therapy. I'm trying to figure shit out. I'm trying to figure shit out so that I don't have nightmares the way, the way that I do. But, um, I, I wrote this and I, I received a lot of really positive feedback from people when they read it, um, with relation to, uh, w- with relation to it impacting them. And it, that's what motivated me to, uh, to want to orate it on the, on the podcast. Um, and so that's it. That's, uh, that's please, won't you? And with that, I'm going to let the guitar, uh, lead us out and I'm going to wish you guys a good day, a good afternoon or a good evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Either way, just know I wish you well. And, uh, I just hope that we keep talking to each other. Take care, everybody. (laughs) 